Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And good afternoon. Welcome once again to our week, <clears throat> weekly legal discussion here on Chicago's Legal Latte. This is Jim Mitchell, and <laughs> pleased to have you here as I uh, anticipate a, a very interesting discussion today. <clears throat> joining me w- joining me will be attorney Sammy Azari of Lavelle Law Limited. Sam and I are going to be discussing orders of protection, uh, specifically guidelines in place under the Illinois Domestic Violence Protection Act. We've got a great deal to cover, so let's begin right away with an introduction. And Sammy, it sounds like you're here, so welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get into the specifics, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of detail here we want to cover. Can you give us a quick overview of the uh, of the act in question? Is this a relatively new law, and, and what does it cover in general? Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, a couple of them. There's the Illinois Domestic Violence Act, which covers orders of protection that is limited to family and household members. And then for other people, there's the Illinois Stalking No Contact Order Act. That's to uh, protect people that are involved in it, that are not involved in some sort of dating or familiar relationship. So there's basically an uh, an act out there to protect just about everybody. Okay, well, we'll talk about those a little bit today. Now, as we talk about this. and start to get into some of the discussions. It, it, normally, this process would go what through the circuit court. It would, yeah. It's a petition that you would basically file with the court, and then they're free. And typically, you know, the the petitioners do it themselves. They just go to the courthouse and get some help on how to fill out the forms from free legal aid that's available, or they have an attorney help them with the process. And that's something that we do on a regular basis. Um, and then once it's filed, they're given a, an immediate court date that that day. They go before a judge, and there's a ruling issued, and then they have to come back uh, a couple weeks later. Okay, so there, it, it sounds like the you mentioned a couple different acts and and um, different relationships that get covered. Is the standard order of protection generally the same, just different cases, or are there different types? Uh, the standards uh, basically the same. I mean, they're both civil acts, and so it's. Uh, preponderance of the evidence. It's not a criminal act, so it's not uh, bur- uh, burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So the standard is basically the same. D- the different acts just apply to different relationships. Okay. And uh, again, r- run through those relationships for us, if you would. I mean, I mean you may obviously a, a family relationship, uh, dating relationship. Is that Are those two of the primary ones? Yeah, those would fall under the Illinois Domestic Violence Act, and you'd file for something called an order of protection. If, for instance, you're having problems with your neighbor, then you'd file something called the Stalking No Contact Order Act. And that, that's a little bit more limited than the Domestic Violence Act Order of Protection, um, but it does provide protection for people that are fearing for their safety from somebody that's not a household or family member and somebody that they're involved in a dating relationship with. Okay. Well, let's talk about the types of protection that, that are afforded by these. Uh, yeah, let's start with a family relationship. Um, what does the Illinois Domestic Violence Act provide for, and, and how would someone be protected by, by going through the court to, to get this type of coverage? Well, basically, somebody would start out by filing a petition for an emergency order of protection in the circuit court. And what happens is is 
they go before a judge that same day upon filing the petition, and the judge will determine, because it's ex parte, the other side usually doesn't have a notice of that hearing, the judge will determine if the facts give rise to an emergency order of protection for two weeks. And that emergency order has to rise to a certain level because the other person isn't there to tell their side of the story. And in the event that the judge says that it does warrant protection for these next two weeks until they can serve the uh, the defense and bring them into court, the judge can order or forbid a family or household member from basically continuous ab- abusive behavior by granting that emergency order. And, and you mentioned uh, earlier, you used the term burden of proof. Uh, again, if if the person accused isn't there to represent themselves, uh, what what has to be presented in this filing to you know secure some sort of an order? Basically, what what they look for is is two um, two occurrences that have occurred where somebody was in fear for their safety, um, whether it be uh, typically it's usually physical abuse or mental abuse, um, and they look for two instances that are fairly recent. So, um, the more occurrences that have happened, the stronger the likelihood of granting that emergency order of protection. But that that isn't the final order that's issued. There's usually hearing for something called a plenary order of protection. Okay. And and before we get into that, because I think that's a, the next step, we want to talk about that. You, you mentioned the family relationship. Would a dating relationship fall under that same uh, type of protection in terms of uh, several incidences of, of abuse having taken place? Correct. That would more likely fall under the uh, Illinois Domestic Violence Act as opposed to the Stalking No Contact Order Act. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're we're going to kind of get into a little bit of the, the detail here now um, and and find out. Tell me more about the Plenary Act then in, in terms of what happens. Uh, obviously, that, that first temporary order is just going to cover a couple of weeks, as you said, because the, uh, there's no one there to present a defense. How, how more extensive, if any, is then the, the next step? Correct. After that, the, the sheriff of the county where the petition is filed will serve the defendant. And once the defendant has notice, uh, they're expected to be in court for a hearing on a plenary order, which is what uh, would happen for two years as opposed to the two-week order, which happens after the emergency order. Um, so <coughs> once there's a hearing, the judge will determine whether to extend that order for two years. And basically, it's the same order that's in place for the two weeks, except that the duration is much longer. Uh, and that can happen in one of two ways. One is that the defendant just doesn't show up after being served, or they show up and they lose after after conducting a hearing, whether they present their defense and the judge doesn't see it their way, or they don't present a defense and they just concede to having the other person enter an order of protection against them for two years. And it's all, all determined by the judge, and it's usually all takes place in, in one hearing session then? Correct. Um you know, in the event that there's attorneys involved, there might be some uh, basic discovery that's issued um, that the judge might uh, grant both parties. But typically, uh, there's a hearing date set that both sides show up and they orally present their cases to the judge, and the judge will make a determination right then and there. Okay. Uh, we're talking with Sammy Azari, uh, an attorney at Lavelle Law Limited today. Uh, he's sharing some information on orders of protection, um, what types of uh, uh, options are available, how they can be granted under various acts here in Illinois. Um, we've talked uh, just briefly here about uh, protecting an individual um, in, in different relationships. Um, does a request like this also offer some protection for property if, if the person who is seeking protection feels that that might be at risk as well? Uh, typically not. It's usually just for individuals for fear of like harm or safety or physical or mental abuse. 
um, as far as property is concerned, that might be uh, that that would have to be a separate uh, uh, avenue of protection that they would seek. Okay. And you, you talked about this being done on, uh, I think you referred to it as, as an emergency basis. Um, you know, if, if abuse has occurred, um, if someone feels they need protection immediately, it sounds like this is something that can be uh, requested and perhaps granted in, in very short order. Correct. Any day that somebody wants to go to court and file an emergency, a petition for an emergency order of protection or stock in no contact order, they can. So, I mean, if somebody decides tomorrow to go to court and file that, they're immediately going to go before a judge, they're going to present their side, and the judge is going to determine whether or not the facts give rise to granting a two-week emergency order of protection. And can these orders of protection, I assume, then also uh, provide protection for children or other family members that... um uh, the person who is making the request feels may be at risk? They can. They absolutely can. Um, the only caveat there is then there must be an attorney representing the other individuals unless the person that's filing the petition is in the, is in, just happens to be an attorney. Um, then that attorney can represent the other individuals. But whoever is being listed um, in the petition for order of protection or stock and no contact order needs to be represented by someone. They can represent themselves but in the event that they're either minors or they just are, don't have the ability to represent themselves, they need to be represented by an attorney. Okay, and and let's talk now a little bit about the the, the stalking protection. Uh, this this you know comes out of different relationships, um, but it's obviously you know the type of thing we we hear about in the press a little bit from time to time, and in uh, unfortunately some some serious cases. Um, how does that type of uh, protection differ from what we've talked about so far? It's, it's basically the same thing as the order of protection. The act was just desi- designed because the uh, um, Illinois Domestic Violence Act was strictly limited to people that are basically living under the same roof or were had some sort of dating relationship. So the stock and no contact order applies to people that don't have that relationship, and um, it basically protects people from being stalked or have, being harassed or having their personal liberty interfered with. And would it uh, generally fall in those same durations that we've talked about, an initial two-week and then a two-year uh, Correct, uh, yeah, coverage? it's a two-week okay. emergency order of protection, and then there would be a hearing for a plenary order of protection. And what what should happen after that two-year period expires? I mean, obviously, if someone is you know, seriously concerned about their, their well-being, um, you know, two years might come and go in a hurry. Can that be extended in any case? Yeah, it can be renewed, and there's no limit to how long it can be renewed. So somebody can go in there and present evidence as to why they feel feel that their safety might be in jeopardy if somebody were to not have this order of protection entered against them. Um, so, you know, after the two years is up, somebody can go in and, and renew the order of protection or the stock and no contact order. Um, but they would have to demonstrate as to why this needs to be extended for an additional two years. And when when an order is in place, um, what is the risk to the person who is uh, the defendant? You know, they're told to stay away. If if they violate these orders, is is that uh, a criminal offense of some sort? It is. It is. It's a class A misdemeanor. Um, the user can go to jail for up to three hundred sixty four days and pay a fine of uh, up to twenty five hundred dollars. It's a typical, just like a battery case, just like a DUI case, it's a similar punishment. Um, Mm -hmm. A second violation of an order of protection can be a felony, and that's when you're talking about over a year in jail and being a convicted felon. So there's some very serious penalties for violating an order of protection. 
And I assume these orders of protection are, are fairly specific in terms of, you know, what type of contact is, is addressed so that uh, uh, it's it's clear to both parties what they can or cannot do? Absolutely. There's typically no physical contact, and uh, there's also no contact via telephone, emails, texting, or communication through third parties. So the abuser can't go tell somebody else to contact the uh, the victim uh, for them. Uh, so it's pretty much covering any kind of avenue that the um, violator could try to contact the uh, victim from from day one. And you had mentioned, obviously, that um, you know using an attorney um, to to help get this uh, filed and get in front of a judge, um, someone who's under this type of duress and and is looking for immediate action, obviously, is going to be. Um, you know, concerned perhaps with some of the costs they might incur. Are there uh, filing costs, court costs that they would uh, have to be dealing with as well? No, the orders of protection is free. Um, now, in the event that the sheriff was unable to serve um, the the uh, the abuser, then the victim might want to take it upon themselves to retain a private investigator to, to try to effectuate service. Now, the sheriff's going to keep trying, and it's going to be free of charge. But, you know, there are times I've been in court where the sheriff just wasn't able to serve someone the judge recommended to the victim to try to retain a process server to serve the abuser and get him served. And and in general, I, th- I guess it would be safe to say, too, that if, if anyone finds himself in an abusive situation, a threatening situation, that uh very prudent to first talk to an attorney to, to make sure they know what, what steps they have available to them and to not... Uh, take any personal risk, but to to get in front of someone as quickly as they can. Absolutely. I mean, anyone that's involved in some sort of abusive relationship, whether it be physical or mental, um, or really any way, whether it's interference or personal liberty or harassing or stalking, I mean, they need to, first of all, contact the police if something is escalating to to a serious level. And B, contact an attorney to determine what your rights are, because you have a right to live free of being uh, physically or mentally abused, and you need to know everything that uh, needs to be done because it does take time, and uh, the quicker somebody acts on it, the better. Okay. Well, we uh, certainly moved our way through this discussion quickly today. I want to thank Sammy Azari for being with us. Um, always good to have him with us as uh, we enjoy the uh, uh, folks from Lavelle Law Limited stopping by. Next week, Ted McGinn is going to be here. He'll provide some insight into proper due diligence in business purchases. That could be a very timely topic this time of year. So we uh, look forward to having him with us and look forward to having you join us as well. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.